0: This is the Leading Second Podcast, where we're on a mission to equip local churches everywhere to raise up uncommon leaders. The Leading Second Podcast releases every Thursday morning. So hit follow and share this episode with your team. Now, let's jump into another episode for all of us who lead from the middle. This is the Year of the Leader. This is the Leading Second Podcast. I'm Brandon Stewart, and welcome back to the Leading Second podcast. We're so excited you're here today. If you lead from the middle in any capacity at your church, you want to get it right for your pastor, then Leading Second is for you. So welcome to this space today. We're so glad you're here. And today, we have a very, very special episode for you. Today, we're going to be talking with Les McEwen, the president and CEO of Predictable Success. He's the author of several leadership and organizational books that have been revolutionary for me in my leadership journey, in our coaching journey with Leading Second. So excited for you to hear from a brilliant leader of his caliber. Uh, So get ready. It's going to be a dynamic conversation today. Before we jump into the episode, though, I am so excited to announce the launch of a new coaching initiative here at Leading Second, and that is Leading Second Build. Leading Second Build exists to serve as a catalyst for team health and organizational momentum in local churches. We have designed a program to coach churches through a 12-month coaching journey where we want to just come alongside you as pastors and executive teams with a biblical framework and proven systems. We, we want to help you to diagnose where you're at and create a roadmap forward through proven coaching systems actually out of the predictable success model that Les McKeown wrote. We're so excited about this. We've been believing God for a framework to help in our coaching that would really give leaders handles and a pathway forward. And I'm excited to announce this new program, uh, we are we are intaking new churches into Leading Second Build now. If you'd like more information on that, head to leadingsecond.com slash build and uh, reach out. Let's start a conversation. I would love to talk about what it can mean to help you discover where you're at and how we move you forward toward all that God has for you. All right, everyone. Les McKeown is up on the podcast today. Les is the president and CEO of Predictable Success. In his consulting work, he works with CEOs, Fortune 500 companies and down on how to achieve scalable, sustainable growth in your organization. He's the author of four books, a couple of which we'll mention today. And, um, he also leads, part of what he does is he leads an organization of uh, consultants, uh, myself being a part of that now. And we're just so honored to have him here in this space. He's going to share some brilliant wisdom today about moving from startup to scaling. Uh, So lean in, (laughs) grab something to take notes with, listen to this again if you're driving, and let's jump right into my conversation with Les McEwen. Well, welcome to the Leading Second podcast, Les. So glad to have you with us today. Thanks for joining us. Super to be here. Hi, everybody. So uh, thankful you jumped on here today. I have to just give honor to you today and and tell you how much your resources have really uh, shaped and helped our ministry here at Leading Second. You know what we're doing to coach organizations, even coaching. Um, Lead, executive leaders. It's just been an absolute game changer. Um, it's it's what I needed for years that I didn't know I needed. And um, I just wanted to honor you today. Thank you for uh, your work. It's just a great, great honor to um, have you in this space with us today.
1: I, I really appreciate that, Brandon. As we were chatting just before we hit record, you know, one of the things when you create stuff is if you don't hear back that it's actually making a difference, it leaves you wondering, you know, did it to make a difference? So I, I'm not one of those people who, uh, in any way, takes feedback like that for granted. It, it means everything to me. So thank you.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. Love your heart. And our our leading second audience won't be unfamiliar with her. But I'm joined with Jennifer Martin today from North Rock Church. Say what's up to everybody, Jen.
2: Hello, everybody. I'm so excited to be on with Brandon and Les. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, and everybody knows I bring Jen on for the conversations where I want to sound smart. So uh, <laughs> Jen is here to help us help us have uh, an intelligent uh, conversation today. But I'm I'm so excited for for how we're using this material more in the life of leading second. So Les, what I figured we could do today is is talk about some of the uh, some of the interesting seasons that that church organizations face as. As they're growing and as they're stewarding what God is giving to them. Uh, But before we we get into it, just talk to us briefly about Predictable Success, your book. I mean, why did you write this book?
1: Uh, The reason I uh, uh, primarily wrote the book was that my then uh, wonderful and still wonderful uh, wife, ex-wife now, uh, told me that I could either write it or stop talking about it and that worked so um it had been permeating for quite a while um i had started at a very early age um at the time very interested in business was sort of like a weird kid thing a very weird kid didn't want to be a fireman or an astronaut just fascinated by business as it turned out i didn't know then i was interested in organizations and and patterns of how organizations uh, either succeed or fail. I uh, started uh, became a serial entrepreneur started uh, over 40 businesses before I was 35 which sounds statistically impossible but it, it it isn't. Um and just began to see all these repeating patterns and moved over lived in the UK was born and grew up in Ireland uh, moved to the US and I'm 198 years of age so I'm <laughs> 1998 of all time, uh, because w- w- one of the reasons was because I thought I saw how these patterns, which had been working with with small growing businesses, would work out with very large growing businesses. And uh, I had an opportunity to come work with some great organizations: uh, American Express, T-Mobile, the Army. Um, it was a wonderful time. <laughs> Microsoft, Sun, all sorts of great companies, and the model proved itself out and. I put it together as the book, and uh, it was just bursting out of me, and I I had to produce it. Uh, At the time, I I wrote it primarily for a business audience, and it then became really clear from the feedback I started getting almost right away that uh, this applies to any group of two or more people trying to achieve common goals. Mm. And so I started to do a lot of work in the faith and cause-based world as well and we're not going to talk about it much
0: today but i i love your book do lead as well it, it's it's and i'll tell you why it's helped me so much with language around second chair leadership because you you it, it, paraphrasing and you kind of leadership is not the heroic picture that we're often sold it can happen anywhere by anyone you know it, it, and i i you you have set me free i've i've taught it in our tribe it is really giving great language to leaders in the middle, as to um, what leadership actually looks like. It's far more normal yeah. than we than we think
1: it is. Yeah, the heroic stuff gets the attention because it's great. You know, um, I don't I don't think we'd go to see a Marvel movie if nothing really of any heroic nature happened. But it's a t- and and that stuff, you know, like Sully landing the plane on the Hudson. Uh, you know magnificently and that is leadership there's you know all that heroic stuff it is leadership it's a tiny tiny little sliver of it that gets all the attention and it pushes people to feel that unless they can you know do something heroic like that i can't be a leader the reality is and the the reason i wrote the book is that very few groups of people sit down and say what do we mean when we talk about leadership and so by default the people in the church or the business have a default sense that they've got to be other, better, something. Uh, but in fact, as I define it in the book, leadership is any act, any act that gets two or more people closer to their common goals. So set a goal, if you if if you if you're the one that goes out and gets coffee so that people can continue to you know finish off a, a presentation you've got to do 30 minutes from now. That's an act of leadership. That's a not so random act of leadership. And uh, I appreciate you uh, uh, mentioning that, because of all of the things that I've shared, if I could only share one part of the whole of the predictable success model, it would be that to free people from the concept that leadership has either got to be heroic or permanent. You don't have to be a leader all the time. You can move into making you know not so random acts of leadership. You know, if, uh, if somebody goes stacks the chairs for the meeting uh, on Sunday morning. That's a leadership. That's an act of leadership. Don't look like it, but it is. It's helping people get closer right. to their common goals. Totally,
0: right. totally. It has brought great, great language right. to us. So today, one of the, I think, I think Jen and I are just going to talk to you about our points of fascination here on um, the life cycle. Uh, people can read about it in Predictable Success to kind of know, you know. You know, we're not going to go into depth explaining it, but first thing I wanted to talk to you about today is early struggle. And what seems like in some places to be almost never ending early struggle. I, I meet leaders and ch- see churches all the time that are in early struggle. and and also some that were doing well pre-pandemic, but got knocked back down, you know, to it, in a sense, uh, through the pandemic and are now struggling to build back out. So, I'd I just love to hear a little bit from you about that. And is staying there
1: too long dangerous? Uh, yes, because if you stay there too long, you'll die. Um, that's uh, one of the things that's really important to be aware of, is that when you're in any other stage of development, um, and as you said, we don't want to teach the predictable success life cycle here, but I mean, all of our listeners can It takes like two seconds to realize, oh, yeah, uh, uh, churches, any organization is going to go through various stages of growth. Uh, There are seven of them. All the others, you've got an option, which is to, if things aren't going terribly well, you can step back to an earlier stage, regather yourself, and push forward. So you hit complexity and get overwhelmed. You can go back to a slightly simpler stage. We call it fun. Gather yourself again, and then push forward into that complex environment. There is no backward step in early struggle. There's nowhere to go. So if you don't go, get out, you will die. Now, that leads to why I believe uh, a lot of churches, as you say, get stuck in early struggle. Um, and, I, and I'll, if it's of value at a later stage, if you want, if you want to talk a bit more about why something like the pandemic. Pushes people who are past early struggle back in there. But just to stay on your point uh, uh, about why do so many churches or many churches seem to get stuck in early struggle? There are two things. One is not unique to the church world, and another one is the one that's not unique is some people like it there. Uh, Some people are just, you know, a little switched on by the whole sense of, you know, startup vibe. Uh, And I've got to say that that people like me who comment on things like growth and organizational structure and so forth have done everybody else a huge disfavor by glorifying the startup phase. And it's one of the reasons why I don't call it startup, because everybody gets all gooey eyed. Oh, it's wonderful. Ah, you know, we should all be like a startup. That's terrible. That's like trying to treat your 23-year-old daughter like she's two. That's not... Good. Um, so, but there are some people who like it. And you see it a lot in the tech world. There are a lot of tech bros, and I mean that as a gender free term, um, who wouldn't get out of early struggle if you paid them. In fact, venture capitalists do exactly that pay them to get out of struggle, and they won't because they love it so much. They like the whole thing. Wow. And some, you know, uh, church pastors are not, um, as you know better than I do, they're not exempt some of the You know foibles that everybody else has, and some people just like it there, and so they sort of self harm, sort of. That's a harsh phrase, and if I if I had time, I'd think of a less harsh phrase, but I can't. But that's a small. It's not a small group. Uh, That's not a large group. That's a a fairly small group. The larger uh, issue is something that is almost exclusively church-based, other cause-based organizations, not-for-profits feel it a little bit. And it goes like this. Take what we're talking about here and just look at it in the context of a for-profit business. You're uh, an apple grower or a MacBook pen producer. Uh, Folks who don't see me, I'm holding up apples and pens. Um, There's something really intuitive about the early struggle phase which is doesn't matter you read any books about this thing, you know you got to start making money. I got to pay people and I've got to pay me. I've got to start making money and I can't keep borrowing because that's going to stop at some point. And so the race against time in a for-profit world is very straightforward. I have got to find my market before I go bust. And people may not be that precisely formulating that as precisely, but you talk to any, certainly any successful uh, for-profit entrepreneur, that's hardwired into them. And so they have a ruthless focus on making that happen. You transition all that into the church world. A lot of those phrases are inappropriate. I get that, but the principle is the same. You can't save the world if you can't pay the bills. You know, it's not, in in the current capitalistic 22nd century world that we live in, in the context that we are talking about, you can't keep your church going if you can't pay the bills. And so the idea that you've got to have, even using one word in the sentence I'm about to say, uh, it just, it shuts down. Some form of, of lucid thinking a lot in the church world, which is you've got to have a ruthless focus on finding your market. Actually, there's two words in that sentence that aren't good. Ruthless is horrible. We don't want to do anything that's ruthless, and we don't have a market. Well, yes, you do. So that lack of that lack of clarity, I, you don't. If you're a pastor, you do not have to use the terminology I'm using, and I wouldn't if I was a pastor. But you've still got to make that dynamic happen. You've got to have a laser-like focus on, and it depends how you're structured, either finding a way to have a congregation that serves, uh, allows you to at least break even, and almost certainly you're going to have to start making a surplus pretty quickly, or you have ancillary activities, and you're going to fund it from that. Being clear about those is an important thing. And then once you've decided, what is, what in the for-profit world we would call our business model, then do what in the for-profit world you would say is executing. So all of that sounds very, very, oh, who turned those bright lights on? But that's the truth. And you,
0: you know, in the church world, um, I, I'm in, in the business world, for-profit world, you have a product and you're trying to find the market for that product to get the two things connected. I think one thing that's a struggle in the church world is sometimes we don't know we don't know who we are and what we're selling, and right. and and we're not, we're not clear about that, or even who, who our market is that we're called to reach. And I mean, wouldn't you say that that there's some discovery there that needs to happen for a church yes. right right from day one?
1: Yes, and you know the I, I grew up in in the United Kingdom or Ireland, depending which side of our uh, delightful civil war you uh, settled in. Um, I grew up in Belfast, and and so we've got this very British. Sense that um, essentially the pastor should always be poor. Now, I'm not. I'm not going anywhere near uh, any uh, theological standpoint here. I'm just talking sure. about pure um, vision, um, and that kind of came. A lot of that came off of institutionalized churches. We were part of the Church of England or oh, you're part of the Presbyterian Church, and you're getting a an stipend, and it's very little, and that's fine. That's a different thing, you know. You go to start a church, you've got to pay the rent, you've got to keep the lights on. Those don't become options, you know. You you can't, you know. My local supplier is called Breeze Line. They send me back the little letters where I tell them I can only pay them a tenth of their bill this month. You know, they don't they don't pay any attention to that. I gotta find a way to pay the bills, uh, and so just being clear on how that's going to happen allows you to do all the other things that, that really is in your heart mm-hmm. and makes you sick. Mm-hmm.
2: So Les, you said that if you stay in early struggle too long, that you will die. But in your book, you talk about that 20% of, of new ventures get out of early struggle. 80% don't, but 20% do. So what are those 20% doing right to get out of early struggle?
1: I'm pretty much doing however they might vocalize it, what I just said, which is to say being very their clear market. about, yes, who am I serving here? Mm-hmm. Who am I serving? And in what way can I ensure that I can continue to sustainably sell, service this market? And apart from staying healthy personally, the other most important aspect of doing that is being able to pay the bills.
0: I, I find the idea of market to be really interesting for a church, and, and a struggle for some because I mean, Jen, I think you'd agree we want to reach everybody, you know. And but right. but but but, right. but but focus matters in terms of knowing who your church is primarily designed to reach. I mean, Les, you you can speak back to that, or would you agree with that 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 churches have a grace, they have a focus, they have a DNA that will maybe primarily reach a, a group of people or.
1: Yeah, there Assamed. tends to be like a de- demographic s- skew. You know that we're a young church, we're like Latinx, we serve mostly the Latinx community, um, we're serving a, a rural community, so there tends to be a demographic um, slice which is dictated by all sorts of stuff and. Being aware of that and think, you know, thinking through what does that mean for sustainability, you know, uh, and and getting out of early struggle, what does the demographics tell me about that? Um, there tends to be, in my observation, I'm no expert in this, but there tends to be a ministry bias, you know uh, music's a huge thing. We want to lead with that. That's a lot. Or my heart is in children's ministry or, you know, the, the, the 10 a.m. gospel meeting is the most important part of everything. So there tends to be a ministry, a, 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 what's the right word? Bias isn't right, but you know, there's sort of a default show up starting point and that's going to have implications as well. Um, it's a little bit like, again, I, it, I'm not comparing with the for-profit world because there's any value judgment. It's just sometimes it, it's, it brings a bit of perspective when you see what's happening equivalent here in the for-profit world. So if, if, I, if I really, really, really have a heart for the apples that grow on my farm, and I want to I sell these to every co-op around, when you're in the early struggle stage, and you're trying to get that going. One of the things that happens is because you go, you know, you're trying to pay the bills. Somebody comes along and says, "Hey, really love your apples, but I, I, I tell you what, what I really re- need right now are grapes. Can you do that for me?" And you say yes. And then you say, "Why did I just do that?" Now, yes. Anybody Anybody yes. in agriculture is going to, you know, write in and give us all. So you can't talk of the grow grapes for the apples, but the principle is the same. That in right. our struggle, we tend to say yes to everything and anything. Yes, and, that's and, me and,
0: launching our ministry 11 years ago, trying to travel and help churches, and I had a whole fruit basket I was trying to offer.
2: Well. <laughs> 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 I would say that's every church. I love your phrase that you said was kind of harsh of ruthless focus. And I think that what happens, especially in the church world, is we see what all the other churches are doing, and all of a sudden we think that's what we're supposed to be doing, and we don't have a ruthless focus on what God called us to do in our city and right. what we're supposed to be doing. So yeah, we are trying to plant grapes where we're where mm. we're supposed to be planting apples.
1: And then and what we say is, oh, I just oh, I do a, I'll do a couple of weeks of grapes. Uh, another couple of weeks of berries and I, and the whole thing you're thinking is get back to the apples, get back to the apples, get back to the apples but but you know even you get to Friday afternoon and you've taken all the grapes to everybody, taken all the berries to everybody, you look at an apple you say oh I, I need I just I just need a nap you know I even mean, there's nothing left just, and it, th- this whole thing about early struggle is, it's a race against time. It is a race against time, and it, what what is it a race against? It's against resource running out. I talked a lot about money uh, because that tends to be the leading edge, but it's all the resource. And that's your own energy, your own enthusiasm, other people's enthusiasm to stick with you, right? Uh, and so we think that. Oh, if I just do some other stuff, it'll help me get back to being focused. But it actually it's it's the absolute opposite. It prevents us from doing it. That's
0: so true. Okay, let's let's talk predictable success for a minute. Um, I think my questions lie into a couple of places. You know, how does how would a church know they're in predictable success is is one question I have. Another question would be why in the world would a church want to leave fun? You know, fun's fun. And why Why in the world uh, do you want to have to go through whitewater to get to predictable success?
1: Right. Well, just to break that down real quick for, for our listeners. So everybody's now totally aware, I think, of what we were talking about in the early struggle stage. What happens when you do make that focus is you eventually get out of early struggle and you get into the first stage of growth. And I call it fun. And uh, I call it fun because that's what it is. And it's when we're at our most evangelical small e um, in that you meet somebody who's in a fun church. If, you, if, if, if they're across the street and you wave at, you're dumb enough to wave at them, they will come over and evangelize you. Right? <laughs> they can't help it. It's just unbelievable. Everybody's aligned. Everybody's focused. This is why we started this. This is wonderful. And why wouldn't you want to stay there? And and there's no reason not to stay there. And we'll come back to that in a moment or two. It is one of the there are seven stages you can be in. It's one of the only two stages that you should be in because it's one of the only two sustainable stages. So fun is a sustainable stage, and you can decide to stay there. But here's what happens: when you're in the fun stage, you love it, and that means everybody else loves it, and so you get successful and you grow and as you grow you begin to add services you start to add ministries you begin to add people you start doing you know things that you would have thought you know you send an overseas ministry over to somewhere or whatever and all of that brings increasing complexity and you don't know you don't notice it it's like turning the heat up one degree at a time until at some point you start forgive me screwing up you start dropping the ball, you start making mistakes. And not because you suddenly got dumb, although that's what it feels like, but because you've hit this stage that you just referred to that I call whitewater. And basically, in whitewater, what's happening is we can't deliver so consistently well in all that we're doing because the complexity is killing us. Either things are falling between stools or we're doing things twice or the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing, all sorts of stuff happen. Now, at that point, You've got actually three choices. One of which you should not take. One is to just sit in there and lacerate yourself for years on end. And people do it; they get stuck in whitewater and never get out, and it's horrible. And I and it's my life's journey to help people get out of there. But you have two ways to go. You can go back to fun. Say, hey, I liked it like that. I'm going back to that, right? And so you. You get rid of a few things, you know. Typically, the last two or three new things you did are what pushed you in there. So you say, "Okay, no more overseas ministry. Let's close down uh, one of these things that isn't really working for anybody." And you and you reel back into fun, or you can say, "Complexity, I'll kill that," and you put some systems and processes in place. It's tough. There's a whole cultural shift needs to happen, don't have time to talk about that, but what you say is, we're going forward. We're going to get past this and continue to grow. And The difference, the core difference between fun and predictable success is this, and folks not looking at me, whether you need to look at me or I will describe it, in fun, growth is a convex curve. It goes up and then starts to taper out, and that tapering out is whitewater. So You want to stay in fun. You've got to accept that there's always going to be a limit. Sure, you can add 1%, 2%, 3%, 4%. You can iterate growth, but there'll always be a cap. Predictable success is concave growth. It's a J-shape. So You thought you were doing well and fun, you hit whitewater, you make the decision I'm going through into predictable success, you have a couple of really painful years changing the culture, then you've got this J-curve. And, and the whole topic of my fourth book, do scale, which is, in in fun you can grow, in predictable success you can scale, and scaling is a different thing. Scaling is is at the very least multi-site, um, and it it's multi-ministry, multi-site matrixed in the church world. That's what scaling is. So, the, and the choices both are entirely valid. There is no. Value judgment in either. You can have a boutique ministry, you know, working with a specific group or a specific demographic area or in a particular way and stay in fun. And there are a lot of fun churches and they're fun. Um, Or you can decide, we're going to, you know, we're going to build, you know, a series of really large churches. We're going to scale and get into predictable success. What is important is to realize that you can't get to either by doing the same things. Very different Mm -hmm. cultural pressures. Mm -hmm. All
0: right. Well, as you can see, we have more to come in this conversation. I'm so excited to say that we will be continuing the conversation with Les next week on the podcast where we're going to talk about scaling and what it's going to require of us. So I want to invite you back to the Leading Second podcast next week for another brilliant conversation with Les McEwen. Until then, Leading Second, know we love you. We created this space for you. We're praying for you. We're running the race alongside you. Until we talk again, Leading Second, let's run strong for the kingdom and lead in an uncommon way together. To find the episode guide, visit our website, leadingsecond.com forward slash podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram at Leading Second and join us on the Leading Second Collective on Facebook.